It's Talk Radio, the home of common sense. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots to do today. Laura Dodsworth is going to be here talking about the Safe Spaces and the Equalities Commission, basically saying it is now going to be legal uh, to ban trans uh, men from various uh, trans women as well, uh, from various safe spaces, including changing rooms uh, and ladies-only toilets. Excuse me, we're talking to Tom Hunt, Conservative MP for Ipswich right now. Um, Tom, just talking about um, the hospitals and going back to that, somebody sent me a tweet saying um, that the hospitals in Ipswich don't allow visitors. Do you know about that? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, and um, you know, that is something that, which I've written to a hospital about, asking for an explanation as to why that's the case. I know that they're concerned about high case levels in the in the area, but you know, we're we're living in a world now where we've all been, you know, triple vast majority of us have been triple vaccinated. Yeah. In fact many are getting the fourth. You know, we're in a very different place. And, you know, I, I really think, you know, I, I I don't see the justification for banning um, visitations to Ipswich Hospital. No, and it, it it is something that a number of constituents have contacted me about, and I have concerns about. And I'm in contact with the hospital. Yeah. On. They're, they're working. You know, they've done a great job throughout the pandemic at Ipswich Hospital. The staff there. So I don't want to be. You know, I, I don't want to to criticise the leadership. Oh, listen, we we, we weren't doing that at all. No, we weren't doing yeah. that last week. But we were being critical of some of the admin um, uh, sort of offices, which were the ones coming up with these rules. Because it's 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 unfortunately it's the nurses and the, the doctors and, and the receptionists who are taking the brunt of people's anger because they're the but, people who are out there in the front actually having to explain the policy. But the policy is not being made yeah. by them. It's the people making the policy that need to be shaken up, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, but but I I think that they haven't, you know, in terms of the leadership, um, you know, of the trust, I think they've um, generally, I think, done a very good job throughout the pandemic. I don't think they've got this one right. Yeah, I think I think it's time to, to to see a change there. Let's just move on finally, Tom, to Ukraine. Uh, some terrible pictures this week coming out of their um, accusations coming both from the White House and and Downing Street from um, from Boris Johnson and Joe Biden that that war crimes are clearly being committed. Um, the question is being asked by a lot of people: When is enough enough? You know, at what point? Do we tell Vladimir Putin or do we stop Vladimir Putin? Um, I'm perfectly happy to accept the government has its position and it's not going to change it. But people are, are, are being tortured. People are being shot dead with their hands tied behind their back. I mean, this is this is now, you know, sort of Balkans war type every area, isn't it? It is obviously, you know. I mean, I, I went, I went to um, Srebrenica um, back end of last September. You know, I, I, I went, I, I, I met some of the mothers who'd lost their. Their, their sons to, to you know, the genocide that yeah. occurred there um and of course you know the russian regime is essentially supporting individuals in 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 bosnia serbian bosnians who are denying that it was a genocide you know so that, that, that's by the by um what i would say is you know a decision was taken to intervene there it was a situ- situation though where um you know serbia you know, didn't have nuclear weapons in a way that Russia have nuclear weapons. You yeah. know, so it's there's a slight, there's, there's a dip, there's obviously a, a big difference there. Um, and you know, it was clear that with Shevchenitsa that that was a, you know, mass genocide. It was of huge level. So what what the pictures would have emerged from from Ukraine are deeply disturbing and distressing and need to be investigated thoroughly. Mm. But yet, yeah, no, certainly to my mind, war crimes have taken place. Um, you know, whether it was a genocide or not. Um, I, 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 it could well be, and I think that will have to come out. 
I mean, what happened in what happened in Trebsonitsa was without doubt a genocide. They were targeted because of their mm. ethnicity and their, their faith, and it, it was 100% a genocide. Um, in terms of, um, but you know, but what we do know about those pictures is it's deeply distressing, disturbing. But like, we, we do have to. I, I think there's there's things that we can, you know, the prime minister I think wants to go further in terms of supplying the Ukrainian army with further weaponry. I think there's further we can go in the sanctions. But you know we do have to tread this balance. Mm. You know we, we that we don't want to be dragged into a situation that could no, like, and, I, and I think people understand that. I mean, Russia. Yeah. So no, I, I but, understand that, and I think people do understand that. But the other difference as well is that it, during the Balkans conflict, the UN was a far more omnipotent force, and the United Nations put peacekeeping troops in. You know they did, despite the fact that tr- peacekeeping troops were there at the time. And there's a lot of controversy about this. Srebrenica still happen. But the, surely we could pressure the UN to do more. And I know that that's awkward because China and Russia on the um, the Security Council and they never, they veto everything that we want to do. But surely the UN should be being pressured into doing something here. Well, I think we should also point out though that the UN troops who were who I think it was who were Dutch who were stationed in Srebrenica utterly failed. To, they did, to, uh, they did. But the UN, yeah, but the UN in general, um, the UN in yeah, general, uh, alongside your your colleague Bob Stewart. Yeah. Um, in central Bosnia, I mean, they did a great deal of good work in keeping the the, the, the fighting um, factions apart. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I mean, I know I know Bob very well. He's got an office next door to me, and he and he and he was with me. He, he took me on that trip at the end of September. Mm. Um, but no, I I think that you know the, you know the UN should be active, NATO should be active. You know, we should all be active in trying to prevent what's happening in the Ukraine. Mm. Um, and I think that what is really important here, though, is that look, we, we want the killing to stop. We want the war to stop. But it's important that, that that is done so in a way that doesn't allow Putin to credibly claim that he's got a victory out of it of no. any sort. Mm. So and and that seems to be the the slight if there is any kind of mild, subtle disagreement or distinction between different Western powers at the moment, that seems to be it. I think there are some nations that may be slightly more predisposed to um, you know, getting to a peace settlement that may enable Putin to to, to, to claim it as some kind of victory and, and, and those such as ourselves who would take a slightly tougher line, mm. you know, and I, and I think, we, you know, we need to make sure that Putin, you know, doesn't do this again, either in the Ukraine or anywhere else. And he has got away with it in the past. You know, he's got away with it. He got away with it in Georgia. He got away with it in the Crimea and, and, and in the Donbass before. You know, he, this, this is very, very different. The extent of the bar- the extent of this, the the, 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 the cruelty, the, the suffering, the images we've seen yesterday, it, it is different. It's a level up from what we've seen before in the past. And he must not, in any way, be allowed to tre- credibly claim this as a victory of any sorts. No. And, and 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 if we don't ensure that, then I I believe that to an extent the lives will have been lost in vain. Uh, and we cannot allow that to be the case. No. This must be right. the beginning beginning of the end of the Putin regime. And. I- Prime Minister's being robust and strong on this, um, in, in, and, and I think you know Zelensky's been very clear in his views about a Prime Minister, which are very positive. Mm. No, I think that's right. Tom, thanks very much indeed. Tom Hunt speaking there, uh, I think for all of us, Putin has to be stopped at some point. This cannot be allowed to continue. The question is, how is it going to be done? What is it possible for us to do? Uh, I'm not sure that Britain in and of itself can do any more. It would certainly help uh, if the Europeans and the EU would stop sending quite so much money over to Vladimir Putin's oil reserves. Um, And it would certainly help if the United Nations would actually do what it says on the tin and try and do a bit of peacekeeping. How about that? The UN has failed unbelievably badly in this. Let's get some news headlines. The home of common sense. Talk radio. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Laura Dodsworth is here. We've been talking about Elon Musk and Twitter and free speech and all of that sort of thing. Now, you might have noticed over the past few days uh, there's been a few protests going on. Uh, Just Stop Oil is the latest incarnation of Insulate Britain, Animal Rebellion, Extinction Rebellion, Rebellion Rebellion, you know, Potato, Potato, whatever it is they're now demonstrating against. Our old mate Cameron popped up yesterday. Let's have a look at this. Uh, my name's Cameron Ford and I've just been to the Magistrates Court in Crawley and I frankly just told them what a waste of time and money it is. That's, uh, I think it's all a bit of a farce, that's why I've not really dressed very appropriately for being in front of a judge. But you need to insulate Britain, that is the top and bottom. People's prices of their energy has gone up and the Crown Prosecution Service is wasting vast amounts of money prosecuting us different charges for the same things it's a shamble it's all over the show it's not going to achieve anything at all uh, and the crown prosecution service could not even look me in the eyes when i i told them outright stop wasting our time and money and so now i'm done with that and it's back to the just stop oil campaign <laughs> oh dear why is he dressed as a sheep you know, he, is he making some kind of statement about the sheeple, maybe? Um, Mike, he's dressed, he's wearing insulation. Is he? Yeah, isn't it? I think so. Is that what it is? I don't think it's like a sheepy waistcoat. I think it's he supposed looks like to be sheep, house then. insulation. Oh, really? But, you know, he made well, me really laugh. Well, surely he should insulate his mouth then, because that's where all the hot air's coming from. Oh, funny. Very hey, good. Get it? Ouch. Your revenge. No, um... That's when, why I didn't let him speak, because he talks absolute cobblers. When he said that the magistrates couldn't even look him in the eye, did he not consider it's because they don't want to look at him because they're trying not to laugh? Well, there is that possibility. Also, if it's a waste of money, maybe he should stop breaking the law so that we don't have to waste any money prosecuting him. Mm. Hey. Well, this is good. The law's being used in the way that it should. Um, How's the Just Stop Oil campaign going, by the way? I don't know. There's about, millions I, of gallons of it, you know, coming out of the ground, even as we speak. Well, I mean, the, the whole the whole thing about this, how did they all get to court? Probably a lot of them used oil in the process. I would have thought um, so. But there have been 117 supporters from Insulate Britain charged over mm. that road blocking. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, and I gather 14 were jailed for breaking injunctions for going back onto the M25 yeah. because that was seriously dangerous. I take it none of these people have got any jobs on a day-to-day basis because... I think this is their mission. This is, this yeah, well, is what so they who's do. Who's funding them then? Somebody must be paying them to do it, right? They must be because they can't just live on benefits, these bozos. Well, they could be. I don't think so. Well, who, would you, who do you think would be How funding them? How can he them? afford to buy insulation if he's on benefits? <laughs> he claims to be a carpenter, right? Yes. He told me. Yeah. I'm not sure I believe that. You're, oh, why? He looks just like the sort of carpenter type to How me. How many carpenters have you met? I've met a few, actually. Have you? Yes, I have. Well, don't they spend most of their time carpenting? Probably. As opposed to lying on a road glued to something. When they're not saving the planet, wearing no. insulation and glued People to things. People who make their living as a carpenter normally have jobs that they have to do. And they take one job on, they finish it, they do another one, you know. It's like that. It's like a proper craftsman, tradesman's type job, like being a plasterer. You know, people are in great. These people are in great demand. If he's a proper carpenter, he'd be working. Well, he's obviously putting this first, but he's. Um, do you know? What? I tweeted. I tweeted this clip yesterday yes. because I thought. Uh, you know, he's obviously courting the comment, isn't he? He's courting controversy. Yes. You don't wear that outfit to a magistrate's court without wanting to draw also, attention was it to yourself. Fully, the whole was point. it the whole body he was insulating or just the top half? Well, they only showed the top half. But certainly it would be hard to walk, wouldn't it, if it was down to the ground? But people were cross with me tweeting it because apparently I was making fun of his appearance. But you see, the whole point is he wants us. He's inviting yes. the comment on his appearance. This is the whole point. So I was, I was just giving him what he wanted, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, I but, don't think there's anything wrong with that. Listen, no. If you make a video... 
and people comment on it on Twitter, that's kind of the way it works. If you don't like what people say, get off Twitter. Look, he's completely deluded. Yeah. He's complained that the magistrate's court is wasting his time. Yes. Whereas what he's done is waste the nation's time by gluing himself yep. to the road, glue, you know, wasting court time, wasting public money, going through this this whole unnecessary, disruptive, outrageous protest. Mm, exactly right. Good to see them all in court, frankly. Well, they should all be locked up, in my view. You can care about the issues, and you can also um, go on a protest. Yeah, but they don't know... But there's a protest and there's gluing yourself yeah, to the really M25. Pro- but they don't really have a protest, because they don't have uh, uh, any kind of policy. They don't have anything other than just still pool. You know, that bozo glued himself to a microphone was having a go uh, a fellow a broadcaster saying, you're not using your platform properly. Oh, I'm going to really? glue myself to the microphone. I've bought some vegan, vegan well, glue. Fine, I'm going to... Because I've got a plan for you in that I, case. I, I want to be here longer. I would not, I would not have been doing... I would not have reacted in the way that he reacted. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that was pretty funny, wasn't it? What would you do if somebody glued themselves to your microphone? I would switch all the lights off, uh, tell them to stop broadcasting and give you a good slap. <laughs> Well, that wouldn't be very good airtime, would it? Okay. Well, it wouldn't be on the air because the, the air would have been cut immediately. You did that. So you That's don't. That's my point. I shouldn't protest. You know uh, about wanting extra time in the studio by gluing myself to the microphone. I don't think you find it would be successful. Okay. In fact, not only would you not get any extra time, you'd never come back. Or we might just leave you here and seal the place up. <laughs> we got loads of studios in this building. It's not a problem for us. I won't do that then. I Thank won't do you. that. Maybe I'll wear a fancy waistcoat next week as a yeah, different sort of protest. Yeah, why don't you come in, uh, in some insulation? See how that goes for you. <laughs> <laughs> Big loudspeaker hat. Yeah, absolutely. I want more loudspeaking. And some carpentry tools. Yeah. Um, Laura, thank you. Pleasure as ever to see you. Uh, we will take loads of your calls coming up. We've got more to talk about, including Channel 4. What's it for? This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Accept no substitutes. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the home of common sense, the only place to hear the truth, the whole truth, and of course, nothing but the truth. Don't forget you can watch us on TV as well. Uh, Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, YouTube. Now we're on Amazon Fire. Soon it's going to be Talk TV as well. We're going to be all over the place. They'll have no excuse for you not to be watching uh, us all the way through the day and all the way through the evening as well. It's going to be an amazing transformation yet again uh, here at Talk Radio TV. Uh, Just go to the App Store and download the Talk Radio TV app or go to talkradio.tv and you can watch us right now, even as we speak. So um, as we do that, let us talk now once more about the NHS. Martin Gary is with us, former NHS chair, trust chairman, of course. Uh, one of the things that, uh, Martin, we talked about last week was the appalling situation for a lot of people trying to visit relatives and all of that. Um, we've seen this morning, uh, had somebody for, uh, somebody sent it in um, to us, a, a, a new sort of leaflet from NHS Hampshire, which includes um, a phrase which I had not seen before, COVID zero. Have you seen anything like this? Good morning. No, Mike, I haven't, and I haven't heard until you're earlier in your show about this. I mean, people ought to be more careful. Um, that being said, some of the other media, uh, BBC, Sky, have been uh, trying to terrorise people again about COVID in the last 24 hours. Well, so, I mean, yeah, um, we've now got a list of another list of, of, of new symptoms, uh, which could mean that you've got COVID, which basically is any symptom yeah. of anything at all ever that you've ever had. Yes. 
Yes, yeah, so, so take a test, except now you've got to pay for it. Yes. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I've got a, I've got a tweet from somebody here um, who's quite upset about the idea that actually um, the test should be, used to be free. This is from Mark, who says, I had to get a PCR test today and now have to go private. It costs £100. But rather than want to make a bit of money back for the rinse taxpayer, staying open and charging, say, £50, our brilliantly gormless NHS to shut down all the sites. I mean, they could have done it that way, couldn't they? They could. I mean, Mike, I, I get a bit suspicious that uh, COVID is being used a little within the NHS to, as a kind of excuse about the overall level of performance. Um, I, I, I've obviously read the report about uh, cancer care that came out of the Select Committee mm. from Jeremy Hunt. Um, I mean, Carol Sikora, who frequently appears on this station, um, is, is the person who can comment on that uh, from, a, from a medical point of view better than I can. But yeah. I can't just say this. The distress of people waiting for diagnosis, uh, waiting for appointments, waiting for results back from those appointments, I can tell you from first-hand family experience, is really horrendous. Mm. Um, and, and so we get the figures, the statistics, and they're awful. It's been a decline has been long before I left the NHS in mid-2020. That decline was already happening. Right. Actually, um, the, 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 the problem we've got um, seems to be just getting worse and worse and worse. It, it has dipped since COVID, but it was still in decline before COVID ever came along. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, according to the figures we've got today from the Health and Social Care Committee, um, the aim is to diagnose 75% of stage one and stage two cancers by 2028. I mean, that's six years from now. And in the past six years, they haven't made any improvements whatsoever still only diagnosing 54%. So you've basically got a 50-50 chance of having your cancer actually um, discovered. Yeah, but Mike, it gets worse, doesn't it? Because the Department of Health uh, said they recognise that business is usually not enough and said it was developing a new 10-year cancer plan. 10-year? I, mean, I mean, what is happening? It really is too slow. This is the thing. I mean, even when Sajid Javid started talking about reducing the waiting lists, right, we were talking about minimum 2025 before you even see a reduction in in the waiting time. Yep. Yep. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, look, Mike, it, it has become a, a kind of COVID service. I was talking to somebody at the weekend um, who who had a, a close relative who was a, a very senior cardiac theatre nurse. Mm. And she spent half of her time in the first half of last year actually administering vaccinations. Right. The general public, which was a great, great place if you're trying to treat people with heart issues. Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? I mean, all of the focus was on that. All of the focus was on um, vaccinating people. Uh, they, people couldn't get a doctor's appointment, but if you wanted to get vaccinated, the doctor's sitting there happily giving it to you. You know, it just seemed to be that, that, that both between them, the government and the NHS management system, to totally failed the people. Yeah, yes, it has. And um, I think I think the, the case for, for the radical and I mean radical reorganisation, is, is clear. The trouble is, even if you put the, the reorganisation really on the fast track, mm. um, you're not going to get results very quickly. Um, uh, I mean, the, the, the separation, for example, of, of, of uh, routine uh, medical care from emergency care seems to me to be necessary. The mm. separation may be of diagnostics, um, seems to be reasonable to me. And there are people who will be prepared to do that. We know, um, for example, I quote Carol Sikora again, but his organisation is prepared to offer that as a, on a non-profit basis to the NHS. 
but it takes a long, long time to actually get that uh, that message through. Mm. And it's not it's not really acceptable. Um, and at the moment, we're, we're kind of dare I say stuck with the NHS as it is for the for the next. Let's look at the next year. Mm. Are we going to see a big improvement in cancer uh, times within twelve months? And I can't say I'm ever particularly optimistic. No. And I was from your experience, Martin, in the actual trust system. Where are the where are the log jams? You know, where does this fall down? You know, because if somebody goes for a regular cancer checkup, say for example, I don't know what the rules are on that, but you go for a, a checkup or whatever, or you go and see a doctor, and they say, "Oh, we'd like to see this." Uh, um, you know, maybe get an X-ray. You know, give you some kind of scan. Um, you know, where are the holdups? Where are people being stopped from proceeding quicker? Well, I think at the moment, um, getting to the GPs, I mean, let's let's uh, accept the fact the GPs are a separate part of the NHS. Mm. They're not they're not employees of the NHS, the majority of GPs. Yeah. They are employed by their practice as a partner or as a, as a, a doctor in the practice, perhaps waiting to become a partner one mm. day. So that is the, the, what the NHS has a problem with sometimes is actually telling the GPs what to do. Mm. And I understand that. But, you know, secretaries say, well, kind of, we've, we've told all GPs, but actually they are small independent businesses. Well, some are quite large independent businesses. So there is a natural, you can't make it happen at that bridge between the GP and the specialists. Mm. Now, where the relationships in that community are strong between the, the local acute hospital or the later cancer department and the GPs is good. Sometimes it isn't. And then... And my experience in the NHS, which, which was a community community and mental health predominantly, we yeah. employed 8,000 people in Staffordshire. But let me make, make the point, Mike, that there's a lot of talk politically. I mean, the, the, the Boris Johnson story is we are building 40 shiny new hospitals. Yeah. Actually, we quite like to keep people out of hospital. <laughs> and, and that, that, well, so with the hospitals, we, funnily enough. I, I, I haven't got any great plans to wish to go and visit my local acute hospital, even though it may be an excellent hospital. But, you know, that, that we, we need to change that culture as well. And, and But those things which where people are worried, they might know a woman has a lump in her breast, a guy who's passing blood, mm. you know, there's all these sorts of things that people need, not only because it's right to do it, but it's also is right for people's mental health. And don't forget, there's not a, when, it, when it's somebody ill in a family, especially when you think of some of the younger people who get cancers, mm. worry among their children, their, their larger family, their parents. It, it, it's very, very distressing time for them. Yes. And we need, really need to get to grips with this. Yes, I absolutely couldn't agree more. Martin, thanks very much indeed. Martin Gower, former NHS Trust Chairman, giving us the benefit of his experience as to why the cancer figures alone are still no better, haven't been improved in six years. Only 54% of stage one, stage two cancers detected in the NHS. That's appalling. That's just not good enough, I'm afraid. Coming up, we'll take your calls and I'll tell you uh, whether you've got COVID or not, because I know now I've got I've got a list of things here. I can, t- I can tell you exactly what you've got wrong with you. Or maybe I'll set up my own doctor's surgery, the Independent Republic of Dr. Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. Talk, Lane Talk, Unrivaled Talk, Talk Radio, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here at Talk Radio, the home of the most sensible people in broadcasting. I'm delighted to say one of them has just joined me. Laura Dodsworth is here. Uh, very, very good morning to you. Thank you for coming. Um, we've been talking about COVID uh, a little bit in the first hour and also the NHS and how they are uh, describing all manner of different symptoms that you could now have. Uh, lots of people are getting involved, sending me texts to say, uh, I've woken up with a bad toe. Does that mean I've got COVID? Yeah, probably. Um, hangover COVID, that's probably one as well. Uh, it's almost, almost, I stubbed my toe this morning, says uh, Steve. I think I may have COVID now. I'll just go and have a test to make sure. This is the thing. It's all getting a bit out of hand, isn't it? We're going to talk about the COVID inquiry. We're going to talk as well uh, about a great many other things during the course of the morning. Also, I'm looking for anyone who's seen uh, this sign, which indicates zero COVID or COVID zero. This is an NHS Hampshire leaflet that we have managed to get our hands on. Uh, we're being investigating it. So if anybody out there has also got an NHS leaflet which incorporates that phrase or that little graphic, I'd love to know. I've tweeted out the picture. You can have a look at it right now. Uh, also coming up a little bit later on, uh, we will be talking about what's going on in Ukraine uh, with a former um, army specialist, a bomb disposal man from Iraq, actually, who's a veteran uh, of wars in the Balkans and in Afghanistan. We'll find out from him uh, what's going on. Plus much more besides Three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number, of course. Mark Littlewood's here to talk about Channel Four. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hello, Laura. Hello. How are you? Well, I'm good now, but I had COVID last week. And yes. You, you know, you were just saying there's all these different symptoms. Yes. Okay. Well, so like, I was very fashionably late to the party, but I can now confirm, like mm. most people say, it's like a cold, but it's yes. a cold plus. I know for other people it's been a great deal more serious, but you know, generally if you're young and healthy, it's it's like a cold, especially yes. now with Omicron. Right. But you know, you just you kind of like mocking. Oh, it's in your toes. I had pains in my toes. Did you? I actually did. Well, maybe that was something else, though. Maybe it could no, have been yeah, no. a bit of early onset arthritis. <laughs> no, because I only had it when I had COVID. Ah. So um, actually, the reason I thought I might have COVID was I developed sciatic and joint pains. And I've got a few other friends who had the same thing. I thought, mm. oh, hang on. Is this not a cold? Is this yeah. actually COVID? And so I did take a test because I was supposed to be seeing my mum, who yeah. is elderly and she's also got progressive lung conditions. Okay. So I had to be careful if, of I'm, course if I'm visiting yeah. her. Um, and yeah, it was it was COVID. It was so it was like a cold plus. And so Attica. did you stay? I mean, I, I shouldn't really pose these personal questions to you, but did you sort of isolate? Because a lot of people now say, well, nobody's telling me to isolate. Um, we're hearing one of the problems that I've got with the way things are going at the moment. All these flights getting cancelled over the place because EasyJet have mm. said that they've got so many people with COVID. Now, does that mean they've got a policy of telling people they have to isolate? For how long do they have to do that? Because none of that is a law anymore. I think people have to just take personal responsibility and assess the risk for themselves in their own life. Now, for my case, in my case, obviously, I wouldn't go and see my mum mm. and risk giving her COVID, no. which could kill her. And neither would I. No. But did I go out and walk my dog? Yes. Good. I did because it's fresh air. I'm not coming to contact with anyone. Right. I didn't go to a party I was supposed to go to. Okay. And I also called people I was supposed to meet and said, this is the situation. Mm. How do you feel about it? thing is, by now, everybody who wants to be vaccinated is vaccinated. Yeah. For most people, it's like a cold. Right. So you just have to exercise normal personal responsibility so. and use your brain. I think so. I did mainly stay I mean, indoors. I was on, yeah, I was on the tube this morning, right? Um, pretty packed. Um, mm. Almost everyone that was standing up with me in the carriage, not very far away from each other, were, were unmasked. And... I was just like, well, the tube has always been a sort of a vessel for, for germs. I mean, everybody mm. knows when they do those horrible stu studies of what they find on the seats. I mean, you don't even want to think about it, to mm. be honest, with all the horrible things that go on. But, you know, I'm sure that the, any, every, any given tube carriage is an absolute, you know, lab uh, of terrible, terrible diseases. But 
you get on the train because you have to go to work. And that's what yeah. happens. And the same with EasyJet. They should be getting people, surely, to come to terms with the fact that if they've got what is re regarded now as a relatively mild virus, you can come to work. If you feel OK, go to work, no? I'd, I'd say so generally, but I do think people have to look at their individual circumstances. So, for instance, I wouldn't want somebody with COVID to come into contact with me just before I see my mum without telling me. You know, it's, it's just about being sensible about the people in your life by this stage. Yeah. And, of course, we've just got to get back on with things. And the hospital problems that we talked about last yeah. week, where people have been denied access to see their relatives, to see their, mm. their friends, to, to go and visit their, their, their kids or their parents. I mean, that's outrageous. And it's all been put down to COVID. Mm. And the thing that you might have heard me mention there about the zero COVID, mm. um, it's a, a, a listener of ours sent this in, um, a viewer perhaps even as well. COVID zero um, is the new sort of slogan. And it's a little, um, um, it's a little graphic and it's got a social distancing sign it's got somebody wearing a mask and it's got something else going on on the left hand side. i'm not sure information for patients relatives and carers and it's all about attending an outpatient appointment during the coronavirus pandemic has zero covid become rebranded as covid zero covid zero mm. but i've never seen it on an actual nhs leaflet before now this is this is what i'm seeing well, it's, I mean, it's almost like a... There's like no a way religious, to get COVID zero, is no, there? No, no, of course not. It's like a religious zealous cult. How many people had COVID last week? Was it supposed to be one in 13, I think? Five according million to the, wasn't it? According to the ONS serology, which is, I gather, very accurate. So, yes, we're never going to get but to does zero that mean, COVID. Does that mean that many people have tested positive for it? No, what they do is a representative sample for the ONS and then they extrapolate up to say how many people that will be nationally. So it could be wrong then? Could be, yeah. but I believe the ONS serology has been pretty accurate throughout. It should be. Mm. It's our national statistics organisation. But the thing is, everybody's got I'm a view. Everybody's it. got a view on COVID, on lockdown, on the pandemic, the restrictions. A lot of people were angry with me when I tweeted that I had COVID because that meant I tested. Yeah. And now I've never been in favour of asymptomatic testing. No. It was completely unevidenced. There was no risk benefit, no impact assessment. No one thought about the psychological harms or what that would do, especially mm. within schools. But there's always been a place for symptomatic testing. Now, what I'd say to anyone who was annoyed with me was be annoyed with any aspect of the government's People pandemic get management. Very easily, I found. <laughs> they do get annoyed easily. But what they need to do is go onto the UK COVID 19 inquiry website because there's a consultation right now for the terms of reference. Now, this isn't going to um, happen for a couple of years. And it's really important that everybody makes their voices heard. We've mm. all got a view about what should be included in the inquiry. And this is everyone's chance to say, I think the inquiry needs to look at this. There are a number of major omissions, Mike, from the terms of reference. So a lot of people might be bothered about contracts for cronies yeah. or all that money that's disappeared through fraud, yeah. um, which the government's not even going to try to recover. What about, guess what I'm going to say? The psychological approach, the fear-mongering, mm. the nudge, the behavioural yeah. science, none of that is in the terms of reference. Also, children aren't in the terms of re reference. They're not Can mentioned specifically. Can you not, though, in an inquiry, ask questions that would pertain to those particular issues as opposed to necessarily having to have it as a, you know, a part of the plan, as it were? If you want Baroness Hallett to include any of those areas in the inquiry, this is your chance. Yes. You've got till midnight on April the 7th. That's this Thursday. 
Um, now, there's a grassroots organisation called Recovery, and they've just conducted a poll to find out what people want included in the terms of reference. Mm. 60% of people want children to be yeah. specifically covered in, mm. in the inquiry. And then this one I thought was brilliant. I'm really happy about this. 42% want Nudge to be in the inquiry. Good. I mean, I personally think it deserves its own inquiry, but it's got to be in the COVID-19 pandemic inquiry because Nudge... Um, propaganda, the behavioural science approach formed an unprecedented part of the government response. So it has to be part of the inquiry. I mean, at the moment, we've got lots of headlines about some of the collateral damage that's come out of the government response. Mm. Um, the Guardian had an article yesterday that said, pandemic has delayed social skills of young children, says Ofsted chief. Really? We've got a generation of toddlers who are delayed in crawling, walking, talking, yeah. understanding facial I mean, if only somebody had said that that might be the result of locking children away from uh, their friends and school. If only that had been being said by somebody like, say, a radio station or indeed... Uh, distinguished authors such as yourself. We were saying all this. And We've even child, for two years. child development psychologists mm. and clinical psychologists, plenty of people said it. But the thing is, it's not the pandemic that delayed the social skills of children. It's the lockdown yeah. and it's the masks. So if anybody has strong views about that, they need to go onto the COVID-19 inquiry website. And it's not too hard. It's not too hard. It's not too time-consuming. Um, on my Substack, I've linked to various places where you can get advice and inspiration about how to fill it in. Google COVID-19 inquiry, fill in the terms of reference. This is your chance because, you know, in a couple of years' time, you can't say, wow, why didn't the mm. inquiry look at conflicts of interest or um, vaccine mandates right. or vaccine passports? Get it in now. Okay, good idea. Let's talk about Elon Musk. Yes. What's going on there? <gasps> well, this is actually, I think this is, Fantastic news. Mm. Um, Elon Musk has acquired um, nearly $3 billion worth of shares in Twitter. It's made him the biggest shareholder yes. in Twitter. He made but, 750 grand just by buying them. Well, he, he's actually a bit of a genius at using Twitter to raise stock yeah. prices, which is something that some people don't like. Mm. Um, but I think the, the reason that, the, yeah, this made Twitter's stock price go up 25% almost instantly mm. because he's now the biggest shareholder. He's got four times as many shares as Twitter's founder, Jack right. Dorsey. Okay. The reason this is so popular is that he's, um, you know, he's famously a lockdown sceptic. He's also a big proponent of free yeah. speech. He's quite an exciting and innovative Also, guy. he's a bit of an interrupter. I'm quite keen yeah. on interrupters. Yeah, me too. I quite like people that just get in the middle of it and go, oh, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. What's this for? Yeah. And then you just hit the button. Yeah. See what happens. He, he is a disruptor, <laughs> and I think that's exciting too. Now, last month he tweeted this, free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And he also said, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done? Well, we know what he's done. He's made himself the biggest shareholder mm. in Twitter because he cares about free speech. Now, I... It's kind of a delicious irony, isn't it? In well, a way. Oh, let's hope he's going to deliver on this. Let's yeah. hope. Um, there's some exciting noises afoot. You know, Jack Dorsey and who's the one of the Twitter co-founders uh, co and Elon Musk have both tweeted about whether Twitter's algorithms should be open source. Now, this is huge yeah. because, as Elon Musk said, Twitter is one of the world's biggest public squares. It really matters. Mm. And 
actually it's gone from being one of the most exciting tools of democracy in the world to becoming a machine yeah. for suppression uh -huh. and outrage. And, also and we don't know how the algorithms well. work. And fakery. And I would, yeah. what I would like to see, and a lot of people give me a hard time for this, is I'm very much against the anonymous account. I don't care whether you think you're worried that your boss will fire you if you have certain views. Mm. If that's the kind of job you've got, then don't have a Twitter account. But what you shouldn't be able to do, in my view, is to be an anonymous sort of um, abuser, if you like, or a peddler of, of, of BS or of anything mm. uh, without being able to be held to account. And I think that's part of its problem. And that's where yeah. it's all gone wrong over the last few years. I do agree. Now, I wouldn't want to see that used as an excuse to show you on digital ID. Um, however, no, I'm I not also, asking for that. All yeah. I want is for somebody to have a name, a photograph and a registered email address, which they've checked. I don't want to know what it is. As long, yeah. as, as, long as Twitter have got it on record, I think that's fine. I don't think the photograph's the important thing, but I do think verified personal accounts are important. And that's not just because of online trolls. I think the most important aspect is the bot farms, yes. the, di the deliberate yes, yes. misinformation no, accounts and campaigns. Yeah, I don't mean a photo that I can see. I mean a, a registered, you know, so that, the, the, so that the people who have granted you the access mm. to Twitter know who you are. Do you know what? I've had to send my passport to Facebook three times have you? yes I have because I've been censored three times for my book covers my okay. previous book covers right. ridiculous so books that can be in schools and in mm. libraries Facebook doesn't like them and to get back on I had to send my passport why what's that supposed to do to make sure that you are know. who you say you are to check I'm not some sort of porn magnate I have no idea Mike I had no idea but to get back on that's what I had to do Bizarre. now um I think that making Twitter algorithms open source is a really good idea, but it's only half the problem. The other half of the problem is government interference yeah. in big tech. So like, here we are, Talk Radio Towers. Now, Rupert Murdoch, one of the most influential people in the media in the world. So editor and proprietor bias used to be one of the most important things in the media. And it's now this uneasy relationship we have between governments and big tech mm. because, you know, we can say whatever we like. The, the headlines of the newspapers can say whatever they like. But will they get shared or censored on social media? And that's what's happening now. And that's where it comes down to this uneasy power balance. Yeah. And that between is something... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Which is being and... currently kind of still worked out and worked through because we've heard Nadine Dorries and Ofcom uh, want to take a grip of um, YouTube and, and some of the other big tech new companies, right? Effectively new companies because they are not effect- they're not regulated except by their own regulation. And their own regulation, it seems to me, um, is very, very iffy, mm. you know? I, I would rather go the road of as little regulation as possible, but staying within the law yeah. rather than the online safety bill, which wants to prevent big tech companies from even showing us mm. content that is deemed to be harmful. Yes. Harmful is not the same as illegal. And no. who defines what harmful is? Well, they do. And that's the problem. Yeah. Because you can put certain things up, but you can't put certain other things up. And the two are wildly different. But even before the online safety bill happens, we have a situation where Nadine Dorries has admitted in the House of Commons that the misinformation and disinformation unit, as she calls it, is in touch with the big tech companies on a daily basis getting content taken down, which mm. they consider to be disinformation. Remember, this is legal content. Yeah. So we've got one problem, which is Twitter's algorithms either push content up or suppresses content. And then we've got governments having a kind of a sneaky hotline to the big tech companies mm. telling them what to what to amplify and what to take down. Right. So something, you know, Twitter should be this free speech public square and there's control and misinformation coming in from different quarters. So I'm quite excited to see what Elon Musk is going to mm. do to this. Yes. I tell you what I've heard. Um, a lot of people contact me to say that they don't see my tweets anymore. Yeah. And I wonder if because some of my messaging has been a little counter to the official narrative with my book, A State of Fear, if I'm one of these people I don't that's see being suppressed much. a little You're bit. You're one of those people I have to go and look for your tweets. Right. Julie Hartley Brew is another one. I hardly ever uh, yes. get her tweets, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's many cases like that, which is weird, very strange, very odd indeed. But stay where you are, because we want to talk about a great many other things as well. Laura Dodsworth is here. Uh, we've got your uh, calls coming up as well later on. 0344-499-1000. This is Talk Radio. We think what you say. Thoughtfling, you're thinking. The home of common sense. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Laura Dodsworth is here. We've been talking about Elon Musk and Twitter and free speech and all of that sort of thing. Now, you might have noticed over the past few days uh, there's been a few protests going on. Uh, Just Stop Oil is the latest incarnation of Insulate Britain, Animal Rebellion, Extinction Rebellion, Rebellion Rebellion, you know, Potato Potato, whatever it is they're now demonstrating against. Our old mate Cameron popped up yesterday. Let's have a look at this. Uh, my name's Cameron Ford and I've just been to the Magistrates Court in Crawley and I frankly just told them what a waste of time and money it is. That's, uh, I think it's all a bit of a farce, that's why I've not really dressed very appropriately for being in front of a judge. But you need to insulate Britain, that is the top and bottom. People's prices of their energy has gone up and the Crown Prosecution Service is wasting vast amounts of money prosecuting us different charges for the same things, it's a shamble, it's all over the show, it's not going to achieve anything at all. Uh, And the Crown Prosecution Service could not even look me in the eyes when I I told them outright, stop wasting our time and money. And so now I'm done with that and it's back to the Just Stop Oil campaign. (laughs) Oh dear. Why is he dressed as a sheep? Do you know, he, is he making some kind of statement about the sheeple, maybe? Um, Mike, he's dressed, he's wearing insulation. Is he? 
Yeah, isn't it? I think so. Is that what it is? I don't think it's like a sheepy waistcoat. I think it's he supposed like to be house though. insulation. Oh, really? But you know, he made well, me really he laugh. Well, surely he should insulate his mouth then, because that's where all the hot air's coming from. Oh, funny. Very hey? good. Get it? Ouch. Your revenge. No, um... That's when... why I didn't let him speak, because he talks absolute cobblers. When he said that the magistrates couldn't even look him in the eye, did he not consider it's because they don't want to look at him because they're trying not to laugh? Well, there is that possibility. Also, if it's a waste of money, maybe he should stop breaking the law so that we don't have to waste any money prosecuting him. Mm. Hey? Well, this is good. The law's being used in the way that it should. Um, How's the Just Stop Oil campaign going, by the way? I don't know. There's about, millions I, of gallons of it, you know, coming out of the ground, even as we speak. Oh, well. I mean, the, the whole the whole thing about this, how did they all get to court? Probably a lot of them used oil in the process. I would have thought um, so. But there have been 117 supporters from Insulate Britain charged over mm. that road blocking. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, and I gather 14 were jailed for breaking injunctions for going back onto the M25 yeah. because that was seriously dangerous. I take it none of these people have got any jobs on a day-to-day basis because... I think this is their mission. This is, this yeah, is well, what so they do. So who's funding them then? Somebody must be paying them to do it, right? They must be because they can't just live on benefits, these bozos. Well, they could be. I don't think so. Well, who, would you, who do you think would be How funding How can he them? afford to buy insulation if he's on benefits? <laughs> he claims to be a carpenter, right? Yes. He told me. Yeah. I'm not sure I believe that. You're, oh, why? He looks just like the sort of carpenter type to How me. How many carpenters have you met? I've met a few, actually. Have you? Yes, I have. Well, don't they spend most of their time carpenting? Probably. As opposed to lying on a road glued to something. When they're not saving the planet, wearing no. insulation and glued People to things. People who make their living as a carpenter normally have jobs that they have to do. And they take one job on, they finish it, they do another one, you know. It's like that. It's like a proper craftsman, tradesman's type job, like being a plasterer. You know, people are in great, these people are in great demand. If he's a proper carpenter, he'd be working. Well, he's obviously putting this first, but he's, um, do you know what? I tweeted, I tweeted this clip yesterday yes. because I thought, you know, he's obviously courting the comment, isn't he? He's courting controversy. Yes. You don't wear that outfit to a magistrate's court without wanting to draw also, attention was to yourself. Fully, it's the whole was point. it the whole body he was insulating or just the top well, half? Well, they only showed the top half, but certainly it would be hard to walk, wouldn't it, if it was down to the ground. But people were cross with me tweeting it because apparently I was making fun of his appearance. But you see, the whole point is he wants us. He's inviting yes. the comment on his appearance. This is the whole point. So I was, I was just giving him what he wanted, yeah. really. Okay. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Listen, no. If you make a video... And people comment on it on Twitter. That's kind of the way it works. If you don't like what people say, get off Twitter. Look, he's completely deluded. Yeah. He's complained that the magistrate's court is wasting his time. Yes. Whereas what he's done is waste the nation's time by gluing himself yep. to the road, glue, you know, wasting court time, wasting public money, going through this, this whole unnecessary, disruptive, outrageous protest. Mm. Exactly right. Good to see them all in court, frankly. Well, they should all be locked up, in my view. You can care about the issues, and you can also um, go on a protest. Yeah, but they don't know... But there's a protest and there's gluing yourself yeah, to the really M25. Have a pro- but they don't really have a protest, because they don't have uh, uh, any kind of policy. They don't have anything other than just still boil. You know, that bozo glued himself to a microphone was having a go uh, a fellow a broadcaster saying, you're not using your platform properly. Oh, I'm going to really? glue myself to the microphone. I've bought some vegan, vegan well, glue. Fine, I'm going Because I've got a plan for you in that case. I, I, I want to be here longer. I would, not, I, would not have been doing, I would not have reacted in the way that he reacted. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that was pretty funny, wasn't it? What would you do if somebody glued themselves to your microphone? I would switch all the lights off, uh, tell them to stop broadcasting and give you a good slap. <laughs> Well, that wouldn't be very good airtime, would it? Okay. Well, it wouldn't be on the air because the, the air would have been cut immediately you did that. So you That's don't, my point. 
I shouldn't protest, you know, uh, about wanting extra time in the studio by gluing myself to the microphone. I don't think you'd find it would be successful. Okay. In fact, not only would you not get any extra time, you'd never come back. We might just leave you here and seal the place up. We've got loads <laughs> of studios in this building. It's not a problem for us. I won't do that then. I Thank won't you. do that. Maybe I'll wear a fancy waistcoat next week as yeah, a different sort of protest. Yeah, why don't you come in, uh, in some insulation? See how that goes for you. <laughs> Big loudspeaker hat. Yeah, absolutely. I want more loudspeaking. And some carpentry tools. Yeah. Um, Laura, thank you. Pleasure as ever to see you. Uh, we will take loads of your calls coming up. We've got more to talk about, including Channel 4. What's it for? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've covered a great many subjects this morning. Fascinating call just before the news there from a woman uh, who's in a hospital ward in Cheshire uh, saying that she doesn't really think she should be there. She's not suffering from dementia. She had a very mild heart attack. Uh, they've said that she's now suffering from COVID as well. Uh, and apparently uh, they won't let her out. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. We've been asking you for any um, evidence, by the way, of this zero COVID strategy or COVID zero, whatever you want to call it. NHS Hampshire has it attached to all uh, of its merchandise, all of its leaflets, all of its websites, everywhere you look. Uh, they're looking at COVID zero. Now, everybody knows, I think, that COVID zero is pretty much unattainable. Lots of people have got it right now. Lots of people are not very ill with it. Lots of more people will get it. And surely, as more and more people get it, it becomes weaker and weaker anyway, doesn't it? 0344 499 We spoke to Tom Hunt this morning as well about the cost of living crisis. We spoke to him as well about the migrant crisis, how uh, many illegal migrants may now end up in Rwanda uh, for processing, which is something that could happen before the Queen's speech, if it gets through all of the various levels of Parliament, which include the House of Lords, which apparently is not in favour of it. We've been taking your calls on the NHS, of course, as well. Um, and we were talking as well about Elon Musk buying into Twitter. In this hour, uh, we are, however, going to go to Ukraine. We're going to talk about Ukraine with Major Chris Hunter, uh, who's a veteran of the Balkans, Iraq and Afghanistan. He's got stuff to tell us um, about what's going on in Ukraine at the moment, particularly regarding something called the Wagner Group, uh, which is a sort of private army, supposedly a mercenary army, uh, which is somehow um, in the pay of the Kremlin. 0344 499 1000 is the number. The big question, of course, is what is anybody going to do, if anything, about the war crimes that are currently being committed in Ukraine, because there can be no doubt that there are war crimes being committed. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take more of your calls coming up as well. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome, Major Chris Hunter. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Chris. Pleasure, Mike. How are you? Thanks. Uh, yeah, very well indeed. Thanks to uh, to people like you. Uh, many other conflicts have been probably uh, much more under control than this current one. Um, it's all going horribly wrong in Ukraine, really, isn't it? I mean, nobody seems to know quite what to do about it. Nobody seems to know quite how to stop it, uh, or indeed how to uh, how to prevent it from getting worse. That's right, which is actually one of the reasons why Putin has done it in the first place. You know, he's a master of uh, exploiting chaos. And, uh, you know, everything he's done um, has been well planned. Thankfully, um, for the Ukrainians, um, everyone's terrified of him in his own regime as well. So they don't actually feed him the truth, mm. which is the one reason why, you know, the Ukrainians have been able to exploit certain successes um, in, in terms of the Russian weaknesses. 
But um, yeah, as you say, Mike, you know, it's uh, it's horrendous. Yeah. And I was talking earlier to Tom Hunt MP, who was comparing it to, um, you know, the war crimes that were committed during the Balkans War. Um, and, I, and one of the big differences there was, of course, the role of the UN. The UN seems incredibly reluctant to even talk about this war. It's really interesting. I mean, I was, you know, as you mentioned, I was a veteran of the uh, the Balkans War, the Bosnia-Croatia um, conflict. Um, and interestingly, I was actually there as a UN peacekeeper. And then I stayed on to become part of the uh, the NATO implementation force. Right. And it wasn't until we became part of the NATO implementation force that we actually started getting things done, that the uh, the Russian-backed Serbs in particular um, stopped the atrocities against their civilians and, uh, and the war eventually came to an end. Mm. Um, and, you know, my colleagues and I, when we discussed this, we understand why, you know, this is a lot closer to Russia geographically. And obviously Putin's a very different leader and there's a very high possibility I'd say even probability that he would revert to nuclear weapons if uh, if he felt that he was boxed in, you know, and, uh, and cornered. Mm. And I think that's the main reason why we're not seeing any sort of implementation force, any sort of international assistance force going in there um, purely for that reason. But and, yeah, and I yeah. get and I get that, and I think that obviously he's very unpredictable, and you, and you can't take anything for granted. But by the same token, you'd think that that would mean an even more um, urgent reason to have a, a force which was at least neutral in there, you know. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, something's got to be done. You know, doing nothing is not an option. Mm. And I think, you know, comparatively nothing has been done so far. Um, having said that, you know, credit where credit's due. The weapon systems that we have been supplying from the West um, are particularly potent. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the numbers of the, uh, the weapon systems that have been destroyed, the Russian weapon systems, the aircraft, the tanks, the armoured vehicles, the logistics supply networks, so on and so forth. You know, those those numbers are phenomenal. And even if you halved those numbers, you know, and gave it a conservative estimate, it's still a phenomenal amount of, uh, of uh, um, destruction. So that really is entirely down to the weapon systems that have been supplied mm. to Ukraine and the potency of those. But I still think a lot more can be done. And of course, we also need to bear in mind that Russia seems to be changing tack now and uh, and looking at, at other options as well. Yeah, and that's what seems to be more disturbing than anything, really, because it's only in the last couple of days that we've seen these terrible pictures of what looks like mass graves, executions of people, uh, raping of, of women, um, shooting people with their hands seemingly tied behind their backs. Um, I mean, a lot of people are asking the question, you know, how much is enough before something has to be done? Well, I think, you know, the answer is, you know, you shouldn't wait any amount of time. As soon as there's an atrocity, something has to be done. Um, I think for the reasons we've already discussed, mm. there's a reluctance and there's, you know, an obvious reluctance. But I think, you know, now potentially is the time to exploit it. What it appears to be happening now, what appears to be happening now is that Russia seems to be withdrawing its forces from the north, from around uh, Kiev. Um, and it looks like they're probably going to reconstitute those forces and move them to the east. Mm. Now, I would be very, very surprised if they, you know, continue the relentless attacks. What we're likely to see is air and rocket strikes on Kiev, Odessa, Kharkiv and Lviv. Um, but I think they'll move the actual combat forces, if you like, the land forces to the uh, to the east. And that will create some opportunities. But what is happening and, you know, what we're continuing to see is that there's, you know, this idea that Putin wants to weaken Ukraine. That's always been his strategic objective. There's going to be significant military and economic damage against Ukraine. And what you alluded to earlier on, Mike, what I saw myself in Tripoli in Libya last year, um, when the, uh, the Russian-backed forces started losing, they left their Wagner mercenary group behind and they started booby-trapping bodies, booby-trapping children's toys, 
booby-trapping houses mm. in southern Tripoli where they'd previously occupied, and then we had to go in there and, uh, and clear through that. And I think that's what we're going to see now. We've already seen evidence of significant dead bodies that you've talked about. Um, I've certainly heard reports from my colleagues about those bodies being booby-trapped, and I think we're going to see even more horrific uh, mm. acts. Um, and you know, tell us a bit more about this Wagner group. So, um, you know, we all know about private military contractors. Um, the, the US and the coalition forces have used them for many conflicts now. Um, in roles like bodyguarding and static security. And effectively, you know, rather than having soldiers, sailors, airmen, you could get these veterans in, you know, they're paid as contractors, you don't have to pay them pensions, you don't have all the benefits you have to give an employee. And, uh, you know, they're almost expendable. Um, I guess the difference is, you know, what we've seen in the West with the contractors, the PMCs as they're called, is that, you know, they tend to be quite ethical people. Um, the Russians now use their own sort of proxy private military contractors called Wagner Group predominantly. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've seen them, I've uh, come against them myself. Um, they're really not very good people. You know, mm. they're particularly, uh, they're very capable, but they're quite inhumane in their tactics. Right. And they really don't give a damn about uh, any sort of, you know, law of armed conflict. Right. And w would you say they were in, in pre present in Syria as well? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I should have mentioned I saw them in Syria as well. Um, they certainly they were in Syria. I don't know if they're still there. I would imagine there's always pockets. Um, certainly, there's still um, reports of elements of them in uh, in Western Libya, uh, sorry, in Eastern Libya, um, and uh, you know, pretty much wherever Putin wants to have any sort of proxy activity, using you know what, what you would consider special forces, he tends to use Wagner Group, mm. um, and uh, they're almost certainly on the ground, obviously in uh, in Ukraine at the moment. So. Right. Their motto apparently is "Death is our business, and business is good." That doesn't surprise me at all. Right. Yeah, right. they're just. They're so, I mean, can you see a pattern here? Because, I mean, obviously you've been in a lot of these uh, types of battle zones where everything is not really as it seems because it's not, I mean, I'm saying it's not like an old-fashioned battle as we kind of taught about them in history, but nothing is now, is it really? I mean, there's there's urban battles going on in parts of Ukraine. Um, there's rural battles, you know, there's occupations being made of certain areas there's kind of rings being put around certain other bits but it's a very big and widespread conflict isn't it it is it's you know what we call the sort of multi-dimensional battle space yeah and insofar as you know on one street corner it could be hearts and minds and peacekeeping um on the next street corner it could be high intensity high intensity kinetic warfare you know uh, artillery airstrikes the whole shebang um and we tend to see that more frequently now in, uh, in contemporary conflicts um, and that's certainly what uh, what we're seeing in, uh, in Ukraine. I mean, you're even seeing that in individual cities in Ukraine at the mm. moment as well. Um, but of course, at the moment, it's still pretty much one sided. I think once we do get some international forces in there and people like myself, you know, my, my predominant trade is bomb disposal. Right. Uh, you know, I've got colleagues there at the moment um, who are literally they can't do any bomb disposal because they don't have any infrastructure to support them. Um, so, they're, you know, they're, they're handing out nappies and things that are at children's hospitals and mm. things like that. But once the, you know, a form of stability um, is uh, is sort of in place there. Then we'll start getting in NGOs there. We'll start getting an international security force there as well. And then guys like myself and my colleagues will be going in there clearing up, you know, the phenomenal amounts of uh, explosive remnants of war. Because it does, yeah, there does appear to be an awful lot of, um, of sort of landmines being left behind and all the rest of it. The Russians, of course, claim that they went in to, to, to Donbass and into that part of Ukraine in the first place to denazify it. And lots of people make claims of... Nazi um, sort of units of the Ukrainian army. What can you tell us about that? Well, I think it's a nonsense, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, I think, you know, start at the very top. 
um, you've got a, uh, a president who's the, uh, the son of Holocaust survivors, mm. uh, who's Jewish. Um, you've got a nation who, whether they were pro-Russian or, uh, or pro-Ukrainian, um, have come together against, you know, uh, Russia in many cases. Um, and, uh, you know, you're always going to get this propaganda. Um, don't get me wrong. I've seen it myself. You are always going to get a rogue element in any organization, in any society, you know, in any country in the world. You know, we're not all exactly the same. There's always going to be a rogue element. That doesn't mean the entire, you know, entire armed forces is Nazi. It doesn't mean the majority is Nazi. Um, you know, dare I say it, there would be people that potentially sympathize with Nazism in the British armed forces, mm. in the American armed forces, and, you know, in any other Western or Eastern armed forces. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, there's these entire Nazi uh, um, battalions or, uh, or battle groups or formations. I mm. think that's just nonsense. Well, I mean, it doesn't quite fit with the idea that, that Ukraine is a country which is uh, run by elections and run by a government as opposed to run by some kind of dictator who has some Nazi ideology. You know, you could understand if that was the case, but really, yeah. clearly it's not, is it? No, it really isn't. And, it, you know, if you look at a... Um, and, of course, it, you know, it plays back to Russian history. You know, the, the, the Russians have still never, ever forgotten what happened during the Second World War. And, you know, when they talk about fascisti, uh, the fascists, um, and they talk about the Nazis, you know, under that sort of fascisti term... Um, you know, it's very, very prevalent. It's very, very, uh, you know, poignant to them. So it's very easy if they can label a, uh, an enemy as, as fascists, as Nazis, mm. then, you know, they're, they're more likely to get the support of, uh, um, of, of the uninformed population, if you like. Yeah, well, they've certainly changed their tune as well. I mean, because later on, uh, they said they were, they were invading the country in order to stop uh, uh, bio, bio weapons being made, which also turned out to be a, a crock of nonsense as well. So, I mean, they sort of turn uh, on a sixpence to, to, to give any different reason but would you say their sort of retreat to the east if you like is going to mean that that's what they're going to try and prop up that that's basically going to be their next move um to secure a part of ukraine and leave the rest of it alone yeah i mean at this point i'm not going to speak to you as an expert i'll speak to you as an individual with an opinion because we've all got an opinion and uh, well yeah but i'm speaking to you as a military expert so you know more about that than i do well, i'll speak to you as a military expert <laughs> with a personal opinion yeah I think exactly that, you know, I think they have to save some sort of face. Putin has to save some sort of face. And I think the, the only way he can really do this, you know, and come out of it with any sort of credibility is to at least be able to take those portions in the east of the country, which were, you know, largely or, or more sympathetic towards Russia. At least that way, you know, he may, he may salvage something. And don't forget, of course, you know, um, the oligarchs have all been hit hugely um, financially. Um, they're not very happy with him. There's a very high possibility that, uh, you know, they're going to get him topped. Mm. Um, he's, uh, you know, he, he does what we call the, uh, the long screwdriver war, where nothing can be um, authorised without his, his sign-off, basically. Mm. And that's very frustrating for his generals as well and for, the, uh, for the, you know, the officers and the soldiers on the ground too. So I think there's also the possibility of a military coup, but I think that's far less likely. Right. I well, think, you know, if we can get out of this with some sort of credibility, then then maybe, you know, they can get back to some sort of status quo. Yeah, right. And I mean, in your opinion, militarily, how long can Russia keep this up in the terms of how much machinery they've got, how many troops they've got, you know, how easy it's going to be for them to maintain this kind of level of, of assault? That's a really good question. I mean, at the moment, they're at their level of combat supplies. And what I mean by that is, you know, their operational reserve, they are using that today as we speak. There isn't anything else to basically, um, you know, to reinforce and reconstitute and resupply that. So they've got to basically go away and manufacture that. They've got to produce it. They've got to bring it all in and uh, and, and supply it. So what they're going to have to do again is 
withdraw out to an area of safety, um, reconfigure their, their their forces, and then resupply at a time and place of their choosing. Mm. Uh, you know, again, causing opportunities for uh, exploitation by the Ukrainians. So right. I think what, as I said, what I think they'll do, they'll probably withdraw those forces out the north, move around to the east, give them a chance to uh, to resupply, and then uh, and then potentially come in and and try and encircle that area and take it all completely. And they'll carry up, carry on with the uh, artillery, rockets, and airstrikes um, in those other four major, major cities. I think. Yeah. Well, we'll watch it with some interest. Major Chris Hunter, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. He's live in Iraq there, where he has been a bomb disposal expert. One of those uh, jobs that you just think of uh, never doing really. Um, the Hurt Locker. Great movie. This is, of course, Talk Radio. We'll take more of your calls coming up. Uh, lots more to do as well. Ian Collins coming up from one o'clock. Uh, this is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Listen on DAB+. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The home of Common Sense, of course, now also available on television uh, 24 hours a day. It's Apple TV, it's Rakuten, it's Samsung TV+, Plus, it's Roku, it's YouTube. Uh, now you can even get it on Amazon Fire. And soon to come, of course, Talk TV will be here, uh, starring Piers Morgan uh, and, of course, Sharon Osbourne and a whole host of characters. Uh, TalkRadio.tv uh, is where you find us right now, or you can go to the App Store and download the Talk Radio TV app and watch us in all full glorious colour. Christo's in for Jeremy Carl from four. Ian Collins from one. Kevin O'Sullivan from seven, uh, who's going to be with me this afternoon filming Plank of the Week. Uh, we're also getting Claire Fox in for that, so that should be exciting. First time for her. Um, we've got lots to do, lots of people to talk to. Right now, though, let us talk to uh, our golf and equestrian correspondent, uh, Mr. Rupert Bell. Rupert, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, mate. Now, this is a busy old time for you, isn't it? Because uh, I can never remember whether you have to be herring your way up to Aintree for the Grand National on Saturday, uh, or indeed herring your way uh, to make sure you're covering the Masters in um, uh, Georgia. And uh, it's all a bit complicated, isn't it? Um, I'm, I'm afraid uh, the, the Grand National wins. Yes. So, uh, But um, I have been to the Augusta. Normally I work with a guy, and for Talk Sport listeners, uh, our sister station would know, with a guy called Bob Butker. Yes. And I have had the privilege of going to... Augusta, but quite often it does clack, clack, clash with the Grand National, which is obviously going to exercise some of my time. Um, uh, and um, so I'm looking forward to that. And actually having a full crowd back there will be fantastic. There'll yes. be full crowds, patrons uh, back in numbers at the Augusta National. So uh, from a sporting perspective, this weekend's um, to, I, I, well, I, I'm in sporting heaven. I'm yes. not sure my wife takes quite the same view. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm well, listen, very happy. But of course, one of the big stories that we're all waiting to find out about, um, the Masters sort of starting on Thursday, is whether Tiger Woods is going to be in it. Because after so many things have happened to him, after so many peaks and troughs in his inglorious uh, and rather inglorious career at the same time, he's there, isn't he? Well, he's there and he's going to, they say, make a decision... Um, he's got a press conference planned, I think, for four o'clock um, our time, yes. 11 o'clock over in Georgia to sort of, I think, further say whether he is or isn't going to play. He once again, he's such the dominant force since his car crash last year left him well in danger. They say it even stated of possibly losing one of his legs. The, the injuries were so horrific. Yeah. And, you know, it was a, a horrendous car crash. Um and yet he's now he's talking, he's been having practice rounds. And 
uh, he hasn't played a tournament since before that. He won the Masters in 2019, the last of his five, the first of which he won 25 years ago. He's now 46. His body anyway has been bashed around his bad backs and everything. And this is only and compounded it in many ways. Yet he is talking seriously of trying to put four rounds together. Well, I just don't think that's practical because you look at Augusta on the TV, you think it's beautifully manicured and it's flat. I can assure you it's not. It's a physically demanding walk. If you, mm. Even the 18th is all uphill. Yes. And if he's got to try and put four rounds together, that's going to be seriously testing for him, particularly in tournament conditions. Yes. And, and he, I hasn't, think that, he hasn't played in the tournament for a long time, has he? No, no, not before his car crash. He played a hit and giggle with his son I saw at that. the end of last year Yeah, uh, with Charlie, which, you know, he looked good. And Charlie looks, uh, his son looks uh, a very good talent indeed. Uh, definitely uh, a chip of the old block as far as the golf is concerned. But yeah. this is different. And what frustrates me is, you know, I think I've seen odds. He's only 45 to 1 to win it. Well, the main thing is, is he going to play? Mm. It's dominated the talk when there are so many other good stories, potentially. But it really just shows that outside the g sporting golfing world, Tiger Woods is still the only story in town. He kind and of that's is, isn't the he? problem for the sport. Which must be a little galling for all of the other golfers, in a way. It's kind of like, you know, they're all there, um, you know, practising, waiting to know uh, who they're going to be playing with, waiting to see whether they've got an early start on Thursday or a late start. You know, all of that tension building up to one of the first, well, the, one of the greatest tournaments of all time, but the first major. And they're all having to wait on Tiger again. It must be infuriating. Well, I think that's the thing, but I, I think they all have total respect for him because... You know, the paychecks that these guys are earning are all in part due to the outstanding achievements of Tiger Woods because yes. he has turned the golfing world into this sort of, you know, billion-dollar business, mm. you know, with Saudi trying to get involved, you know. And you look at the European tour, they're in bed with DP World, who haven't necessarily covered themselves in glory with the P&O right. story. So, you know, golf has basically got a lot of money sloshing around it. And the person who's generated that or helped to generate it single-handedly almost was Tiger Woods. Um, from the moment he won his first Masters in 97, the sport was transformed and he won that mm. by 15 strokes. So he's now 46. Well, I know Mickelson won a major in his 50s last year, but he's now gone off um, sort of uh, to uh, sort of reevaluate everything given some of his comments about Saudi Arabia. But Tiger is still the driving force and you know the ratings for his round on friday thursday if he plays will go be, go through the roof yeah, because the element of freak show about it how is he going to play he has been a brilliant impact on the course yes as you alluded to uh, occasionally well things derailed in some very significant ways um a few years back but he does seem now to have got his life on track and yes it would be amazing but him winning and I hope he sees the sense. If he doesn't think he can win, don't play. Because we don't want, basically, to see Tiger. If in a year's time he's played a lot of tournaments and he turns up, mm. different scenario. But to hit the ground and say, I'm going to play in my first, that just doesn't feel, you know, it would be an extraordinary story. It would rewrite that wood story again again i mean he has again. come back before hasn't he, he has come back oh. when people said that he wouldn't win another major and then won one well yeah he won the mate the masters in 2019 is an example right. of that because bad backs operations all over the time this is the point 
he does have the most incredible ability. You know, there was one US Open that he was hobbling around with a bad knee, but he still found a way to win. He mental strength and is in almost intimidating his rivals into submission just by the sort of the tiger glare could win a tournament. But now I think the sport has evolved and moved on a bit. Um, there are these big hitting players around and I think it's a bit tough on them because, you know, clearly every story is about will he or won't he play. And I yeah. hope he makes a decision today rather than saying waking up on Thursday morning saying, oh, actually, my leg's not up to it. The weather doesn't look right. And right. I pulled out because that will, again, be all the story. We need him to make a decision now. We can put a line through it. If he is going to play, great. Mm. But then we can look at the whole tournament as I've in the round rather than just focusing on one player who's trying to make a comeback, albeit the most, yeah. the best golfer the world has ever seen. And also, I mean, it's a bit late in the day, isn't it? I mean, if they're doing the draw, I mean, they're doing the draw tomorrow. Um, well, I think I think they might even normally, they would do it today. So you'd sort of know who they're paired with today under normal circumstances, but maybe they're, you know, maybe they're just sort of holding fire again because of, for Tiger, because again, who's he going to play with? And if he wakes up on Thursday and says he's not playing, well, that has an impact on yeah. what goes on. And, you know, so I think it's it really needs Tiger. And the weather's not great. So if he wanted to get some practice runs and proper practice runs, I'm told, in Augusta over the next couple of days, it won't be very easy for him. It will test him physically. So for him to think that he can play four rounds in tournament conditions and the mental and everything that goes with that, it's very different than having a hit and giggle with your son, mm. albeit under the media spotlight. But the Masters... You know, as you alluded to, it's it's you know it's such an iconic event in every sense. Yes. Um, you know that uh, I, I feel it's a bit of a distraction, but maybe I'm being um, del you know un un unjust on Tiger. But it's sad then that this is the story rather than yeah. reflecting on the. Well, fact it, it is a shame, but I'm very much hoping you will play because I'm in the course of making my own golfing comeback, uh, Rupert. I don't know whether right. you know much about my golfing career, but I haven't played for quite a long time now. My youngest son has taken up the game and rather likes it. So uh, I've been playing sort of nine holes with him at the weekend since about sort of January, February time, and for the first time on Saturday, I actually started hitting the ball again properly. It was brilliant. Well, really enjoyed it. So so you, you know, the father-son me time that you're having now, bonding over yeah. a missed a missed putt is. So is that is that it? And then he's saying, "Dad, don't be so stupid." That sort of thing. You well, know, no, I'm I'm, I'm, te I'm teaching you all the right things. Like my father always said, always give the short putts in the first nine, and then when they really matter on the back nine, make them putt them, and they'll always miss. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, because <laughs> I'm I, I am going to be playing the old course at the end of the month. So after I've spoken to you, I am dusting off my golf clubs for the first time to actually go and have a lesson Good um, for you. and i'm sure the length and breadth of the land there will be lots of other people masters week encourages people to get their golf clubs out and uh, yes. whatever happens over the weekend um if tiger if tiger finishes in the top 30 that will be an extraordinary story in its own if right if he makes but the he... cut it'll be pretty amazing oh. i would have thought yeah i would have thought it would be amazing have but, you got um, any tips for the top otherwise apart well, from him I like the look of Shane Lowry, the Irishman. He won the he's playing all right this year. Yeah. Um, clearly, Rory McIlroy, well, it's all between the ears for him. Uh, I'm not overly confident about him. But for me, I think Shane Lowry might be very competitive, the Irishman. And uh, obviously won memorably in Portrush in 2019. And hopefully he can um, be in the mix come Sunday evening after um, we've had a, 
uh, after, and I can enjoy it after the efforts of being at Aintree and, yes. and seeing all that that Merseyside Festival brings, all the colour and the racing as well. Yes, no, the, the, the Grand National will be fabulous, as it always is, and we'll be able to hear you on Talk Sport, Rupert, I dare say. Uh, yes, me and Izzy Kelly will be doing our stuff on TalkSport and over the three days. Um, and uh, last year it was slightly different. I changed because obviously in this station I have another hat, a royal hat. Uh, it was the Friday of the entry meeting that uh, it was. The, we heard the news that uh, Prince Philip had died. So, yes. um, and so it's nearly uh, that was uh, that changed my weekend in many yes. ways. Um, I would imagine so. But funny uh, enough, you know, I was, I was counting around to see if there was a royal question to ask you. So there doesn't seem to be one really. Thank goodness for that, actually. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think I'm Andrewed out. I'm quite glad. I, I, I want to talk about golfing royalty. And thankfully, Mike, you've got me on on the golf uh, on the radio station to do exactly that. Yes. Well, we're very grateful, Rupert. And perhaps when you've dusted off your lesson, uh, we may have a game on the old link somewhere. You are, I very much look Royal Blackheath's only a hop, skip and a jump from here. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. And then a, and a little... Um, and a little libation afterwards. Why not, indeed? Well said. Very good. Uh, Rupert Bell reporting in with one of his many hats, uh, the golfing correspondent, of course, here at Wireless Group, where, uh, mostly for talk sport, though, uh, he will be talking about the Masters, but also uh, the Grand National, which is coming up at the weekend. We don't do sport very much on this show, but it's uh, on this on this occasion, I think it merits it. Tiger Woods, if he does play, will be quite a remarkable story uh, for the front half of the newspapers rather than the back. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.